0: with you, um, the, uh, what, what I call the Arab-Israel conflict. We might call it, give it a subtitle, the Ishmael-Isaac family feud. These people have been fighting with each other for centuries, and, and, and we're going to find out why. They're in conflict with each other and why today Muslims are always, Arabs are always trying to say, the Jews are trying to steal our land. The Jews are the foreign occupiers. We hear that on the media. The media has now taken the Arab point of view as if they're the victims in the story when the truth is the Jews are the victims in the story here. And so we'll get into uh, this, uh, this Arab conflict, why they're always fighting with each other. I'm going to cover the title deeds in the Bible that proves that that land belongs to the Jews. Do we have any property owners here? All right. If I were to build, let's say I was your neighbor, and I built my barn or my garage on your land, you would probably say, thank you for building me a garage. And I say, no, 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 no. That's my garage and my land, my property. Now, before you go for your gun, <laughs> I hope you'll go for a piece of paper. And that piece of paper will be a title deed. And on that title deed, it will, give, it will show who the legal owner is. And you'll show me my name's not on it. It will show me the boundaries to that, to that uh, piece of property. And it will show me that I have missed my boundaries. Are you following me? There are title deeds to this land. We'll look at them. When we get to the third title deed, I'm going to give you a heads up. This, this study, that what I'm about to reveal to you, is probably been the most fascinating thing I have ever discovered in studying in all these years of study of Islam and Arabs and all this stuff. It, it would be front page news. In the words of President Trump, it's huge. All right? So get your seatbelts on. We've got a long journey to go. And uh, and by the way, who got me started studying it, I'll tell you now, Osama bin Laden. Something he said that triggered me to go and study some of these things, and you'll see why. All right. First of all, who is Ishmael? He He is Abram's firstborn son. Traditionally, who gets the birthright? The firstborn son. So Arabs, who are descendants of Ishmael, think that they rightly should be the heirs of this property because their granddaddy, Ishmael, was the firstborn son. But God, you'll find, made it very clear that he's not going to get the blessing Isaac will. He's the first promised son. Ishmael was the firstborn, but Isaac was the first promised son. And God always intended for him to receive the covenant, the blessing. Now, but let's learn some things about Ishmael, because it's critical. Number one, his father is Abraham. He is born to an Egyptian mother, Hagar. You know the story. Uh, Sarah didn't have a baby yet, and so she gives him an idea. Well, why don't you take my handmaid, my slave, my property, take her to be your wife, have a child, and thus she'll be my surrogate, and you'll have a son, you'll fulfill God's promise that way. They thought God needed a helping hand. Well, it turned out to be a big mess, okay? Uh, he is described in chapter 16, verse 12, as a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man will be against him, and he will live in the presence or in the face. The actual poinaim is the, Arab, uh, sorry, is the uh, Hebrew word, and the expression in the sense of the, the presence or the face, that the countess, that you're living in their face. You ever heard that expression, you're in my face? It's an antagonism. That's what this means. He lived in the face of his brethren. Well, who was his brethren? Isaac, the Jews. Okay? Um, he lived in the face of all his brethren. His father, he became a father of a great nation. We're told that he would beget 12 princes. We'll look at that passage in a moment. Uh, when he was 13 to 14 years old, Isaac was born. He does something to, to, uh, to Isaac. The mother, uh, Sarah, sees it and it's abomination, and she says, get him out of here, and get her out of here. And they're cast out. So Ishmael and his mother are removed and thrown out. Now, let's be clear. Islam did not start with Ishmael, but it came from a descendant of Ishmael, Muhammad, an Arab, okay? And, uh, but what I find interesting is that the traits of the man, Ishmael, He's a wild man. His hand is against every man, and every man's hand is against him. The traits of Ishmael are also in the religion of Islam. Is it not so? Muslims are not only fighting non-Muslims, they're always fighting each other. Declaring each other apostates. They probably killed as many Muslims as they killed non-Muslims in their 1,400-year history. Okay. Well, we're going to focus in on this region of the world, the Middle East. More specifically, on that little tiny piece of land That we should call Israel. Do not call it Palestine. You offend God. You offend the Jews when you call that Palestine. It is not Palestine. Let's be clear. Let me cover the Palestinian myth. This whole idea of Palestine is a myth. Dreamed up by the British government. After World War I... The Middle East were in the hands of uh, of the uh, what, the League of Nations that was formed to divvy out power and so on there, and the British was given control of what we call the British Mandate, and they were to divide up the nations and to uh, establish governments and so on there. They were the ones who came up with the idea of a two-state solution. You ever heard of that? I'm here to tell you it will never. Work. Not because of the uh, Israelis, not because of the Jews. Five times the Jews have said, let's have it. Let's do have a two state solution, but let's live in peace. And each time it was offered, the Arabs said no. Please be aware of this. Okay? The Palestinian myth, the idea of Palestine, came from the Roman Emperor Hadrian. When he, uh, the Romans, when they would conquer a people, they would take people out of their nation and stick them in another nation and move these people around. Why? They're trying to disrupt, disrupt the roots of these people. You tear away the roots, they lose their heritage, they lose their identity, and they take on a new identity. And he wanted to make them into a new identity with the idea of calling these people Palestinians. Who are they? They never existed before. Okay. So the British got the idea from some history. This area, for years, every ancient map always called this area after the fall of Israel, it was called uh, uh, Syria. The, the Syrians had taken over this part of the area, Arabs. And so, uh, so this, uh, this region never was called Palestine. It became barren, very few people were living there. There were always some Jews and always some Arabs, but it wasn't cultivated. and It became a wilderness. Um, Mark Twain visited the area in the 1800s. He wrote his book there, The Innocents Abroad, and he said, If this is the promised land, I hope it's not promised to me. <laughs> there wasn't much to be desired there because of the wilderness, the, the desert there. However, uh, in the 1800s, Jews began to be persecuted in Europe and also in Russia. And so to find refuge, many of them started moving back to their ancestral home of Israel. And this became known as Zionism. So Zionism was born in the 1800s. The Arabs started noticing that Jews were coming into this region. So they countered it. They didn't want the Jews to take over and populate it. So they started moving in Arabs from uh, Egypt and also from uh, from Saudi Arabia and and other places there, Jordan. So Arabs started moving in. Who's the most famous Palestinian that you know? He's dead now. But the most famous Palestinian probably is Yasser Arafat, right? Guess where he was born? Egypt. He's not even from there. Are you following what I'm saying? These people have been planted in there to counter the Jews coming in. And so there was a contest, there was a race going on. In 19, sorry, in 1882, there were only a quarter of a million Arabs in the area. By 1948, when Israel became a nation, one and a half million. So they were trying to uh, overtake the, the Jews. Now let's get into the Title D. Let's look at what the Bible has to say. And I'm going to be quick here because I've got a lot of information here. And, um, but in, in Genesis chapter 12 verse number 1 through 3, we have what we call the Abrahamic covenant. This is where God says, Abraham, get thee out of thy country and from thy father's land unto a land that I will show thee. So the very beginning of the Abrahamic covenant was attached to a piece of real estate. God had a piece of land that he designed for the Jews and for God to bless them and for them to make as their own home. He also told him, I'll give you homes that you did not build. It will be taken, this land will be taken from others who've sinned and are being punished, the Canaanites, and and that land will be yours. So let's look at this title deed, okay? The first title deed, uh, the hint of it, is there's a piece of land in Genesis chapter 12. But let's get to the boundaries, and that's found in chapter 15. So in Genesis chapter 15, if you'll turn there in your Bible, you'll see a... Ceremony is going on. This is apparently, uh, we see this a couple times in the Bible, where an agreement are being, is being made between two parties. And when you're making a, an agreement, a contract between two parties, you would take an animal, sacrifice it, divide it, cut it asunder, and put one on one, the, the half on one side, the half on the other. So God says, get a, t- a turtle dove, get this animal and this animal, about five different animals. And Abraham cuts them in half, separates them. And the way a contract is made is that the two parties will walk in the midst between the carcasses and thus seal the deal. Okay, But something happens here. God puts Abram to sleep. Abram falls asleep. But God walks through as a smoking fire... And he passes through the pieces. So this agreement is not bilateral based upon two people to fulfill it, but on one person, unilateral on God. Yes, right. This is an important part. So God is making himself the one who's obligated to perform this. This is very important. All right. Now we get down to verse number 18. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land. Now, so there's the legal part. Whose seed? Abram's seed. So it goes to Abram and his children. Are you you with me? Now we get boundaries from the river of Egypt, which is our western boundary, and the river Euphrates is our eastern boundary. So somewhere, pushing a button, there we go, uh, the river of Egypt, uh, has anyone ever lived in denial? Okay. The Nile and the Euphrates. Somewhere between these two places, this land is promised to the seed of Abraham. Are you following me? That's the first title deed. The second title deed is a little more clear. Chapter 17, we get to, to, to uh, the second title deed. And here we fix in a moment which seed. Because Abram had two famous sons, Ishmael and Isaac. And that's going to be cleared up in chapter 17. And we get clear on where the land is. Okay, And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger. So where you've been living, Abraham, the land of Canaan. For an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Never has there been a question where Canaan was located. It's always been below Lebanon. It's always been next to the Mediterranean Sea. It's always, you know, had the Jordan River going through it and stuff, in the wilderness below it. We've always known the location of Canaan. That's never been in question. So it's very clear, and it's between the west and the eastern boundaries, right? So, but in this chapter, we get to the answer, which seed? Because we've got Ishmael on the scene, and Isaac isn't yet born, but he's about to be born a year from now, Okay? And, and now we find in this passage, if you read some of the context, Abram calls out to God for God to recognize his son Ishmael. I think it's very clear that Abram loved Ishmael, his firstborn son. And he calls, he said, "All oh, that Ishmael might be before thee. And the Lord replies, As for Ishmael, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. I will make him a great nation. But... My covenant will I establish with who? Isaac. Are there any questions here? Then why in the world are the Arabs in confusion on this? Why do you think, I mean, because the Bible clearly tells us. It's an ancient document. It's been around for years. The Arabs know about this. Okay? Why are they saying differently? I'll tell you why. Because Arabs have been taught by, a Muslim, by an Arab named Muhammad who came about 500, 600 years after Christ. And he claimed to be getting revelations from the angel Gabriel. Now let me draw your attention to a passage in the Bible. Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. The Bible tells us, Though we, or an angel from heaven... Preach any other gospel unto you than that which has already been preached to you, let him be accursed. So the Bible tells us that if someone comes behind us and preaches a different message than what has already been delivered, even if it's an angel from heaven, then you know it's not from me if it doesn't match up with what I've already told you. Here's how you know I've given you a standard of truth, I've given you some authority to know the truth here. Muhammad comes along saying, an angel gave me a message. And he told me that the Jews corrupted the Old Testament and the Christians corrupted the New Testament. Therefore, Allah, God, has given me the last testament to fix the mistakes and the the corruption of the Jews and Christians of God's word. This is how a Muslim sees things. And their text says... Ishmael gets it. Ishmael's the son who's honored. He's the son who's taken up to the mountain to be sacrificed to God when God tested Abram's faith. Ishmael is the blessed son. He's the firstborn. He's the one who gets it all, and therefore the Jews are trying to steal away what is theirs. Are you following me? They have a new standard, a new authority, the Quran, which tells them it is Ishmael, not Isaac. So that's why they tell you, uh, why they say, they're stealing our land. Are you following me? So therefore they fight. But God has told us clearly, it's Isaac that gets it. All right? Isaac, he'll establish his covenant. Now let's get to the third title deed, because now it gets really interesting. Okay? Got your seatbelts on, because we're going to get going. It's found in Deuteronomy 11.24. Deuteronomy 11.24. Here we find... God's speaking to Moses. Who's Moses? He's a Jew, seed of Isaac. And Moses is told this. Every place where on the soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours. Now, if you get news like that, what should you start doing? You better get your walking shoes on. Okay? But God gave them some boundaries. Let's look at these boundaries quickly. The southern boundary is the wilderness. That's the most questionable boundary because it could be the wilderness of the Sinai or the wilderness of Arabia. Where were they walking? Did they just walk here in the Sinai, cross over here, the Suez from Egypt when they came out of Egypt? Did they just stay in here? Or was there any evidence that they were over here? If they were over here and if there's evidence, what does that mean? Means it's their land. Okay? Let me go ahead and tell you. I'll give you proof they were there. Not only just physical evidence, but also the Quran says so. And not only the Quran, the Bible says so. Now, you and I probably won't accept the Quran as evidence, but would you accept the Bible? I hope so. Okay? All right. So that's the the southern is is the wilderness. The northern is Lebanon. Well, we always know where Lebanon is. Uh, The east is the river Euphrates. Well, we had that earlier. And the western is the uttermost sea, which is the the Nile and the Mediterranean. Here's where their coast will be. So anywhere in there, if you walk, it will be yours. Okay? So what this is meaning, if they walked in Saudi Arabia... This would be the map of Israel today. Here's what they've got. (laughs) Folks, in the words of President Trump, this is huge. (laughs) All right? This is international conflict if this ever came up to to play. All right? But uh, let's continue on. Let's look at some evidence here, okay? First of all, look at the countries that then therefore belongs to Israel, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Oman, United Arab Emirates, Kuwait, western part of Iraq, Oman, Jordan, Lebanon, and southern part of Syria. Two things, lands that's filled up with with Arabs, (laughs) and secondly, it's land that's rich with oil. Got my numbers backwards, okay? All right, who got me started on this? Osama bin Laden. Remember when he was in hiding? And some cassette tapes would be released, and Al Jazeera would publish those things there. And, I, and you know, I'm just a news junkie. I, I study this stuff, all right? And, uh, and I was reading this, and Osama said this, What if Israel expands its borders and says our borders extend to Medina? Medina is in, in Arabia. It's just, it's just north of Mecca. It's the second holy city of Islam. And I got to wonder, why in the world would a Muslim ever think that the Jews would claim that part of the land is theirs? And it got me thinking because some things I had read before that didn't make sense started kind of like, hmm, I need to go back and read some things and study some things. It's the Muslims that know the Jews were there and the Muslims know of the promise to Moses. Moses. And they live in fear. Muslims are afraid that the land that they occupy actually belongs to the Jews. And that worries them. Let's look at the evidence that they were there, okay? Uh, <clears throat> by the way, there was something about the soles of their feet. This, this promise was also given to uh, so Deuteronomy eleven twenty four. It was also given to Joshua there. Something about where you walk, it's yours, Okay? and there was something about their shoes, something about their sandals. Your clothes are not waxing old, and the shoes is not waxing upon thy foot. Their their sandals were made of Michelin. They didn't wear out. They were 200,000 mile Michelin uh, sandals they were walking on. And they kept walking and walking and walking, and they did not wear out. And there was something that was going on. While the Jews were there, they left their mark in a way that people knew What it meant. Now, to us, this would be foreign to us. When you claim land in the olden days, you would drive a what? A stake, a flag in the ground and make your claim. This is our land. In the Middle East, you leave your sandals. Well, they probably didn't want to give up these miracle sandals, but they drew around them, all around Arabia, petroglyphs of sandals. Are all everywhere and uh, and so uh, they recognize this as a sign of a claim to the land now this isn't proof positive that it was the Jews that did it I know that but I find it interesting let's get into the real evidence sir um, okay the traditional site of Mount of Mount Sinai if you look at the back of your maps where will you find Mount Sinai In the Sinai Peninsula, in that first wilderness that we talked about, right? Now, your Bible is inspired, but your maps aren't. Okay? And we have traditionally put it here. We've assumed that they crossed the closest body of water and made their way to this place that has been traditionally called Mount Sinai. Now, the Christians, uh, the Orthodox Church has built a, a, a monastery there uh, at the foot of what they have claimed to be Mount Sinai. So this has been the traditional point for a number of years as, as far as Christians are concerned. Okay, However, we have now discovered, Actually, well, I'll get into what we've discovered, but the Muslims do not put Mount Sinai there. The Muslims put it in Midian, which is Arabia. The Muslims have Mount Sinai over here. They call it Jebel al-Laws or Jebel al-Musa. The Mount of Laws, meaning Moses, or the Mount of Musa, the Mount of Moses. That's what the Muslims call it, the Arabs. Um, now, what, Midian? Midian's in our Bible. Who do we know who's from Midian? Remember when, when Moses fled Pharaoh? He went to Midian and he worked for a man named Jethro. He became, he looked after his sheep. He married one of his daughters. Jethro was a priest. So in Islam, they celebrate Jethro from Midian, but there's another guy named Shuayb, Shuayb the prophet. And So two people in Islam, in the Quran, are mentioned to be from Midian. Now Shuayb is mentioned 11 times in the Quran. He's a contemporary of Abraham and he's known as the eloquent prophet. In Surah 7, chapter 7, he's sent to Midian. Chapter 11, he's living in Midian. But in chapter 19, he is living east of what? Mount Sinai. They're putting Mount Sinai there. And he's living next to it, to the east of it. Um, let's look at the. Uh, let's look what the Bible says. Because as I said, you and I don't see Mount, the Quran as a piece of authority to say that Mount Sinai is in Arabia. But I hope we'll take the Bible for it. Amen. Exodus chapter 3. We find Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert. So he's got sheep with him. He's not left, he's not left the country. All right. He's grazing. He's looking for uh, to grace the, the animals. And he came to the mountain of God. Now, we don't know exactly what the mountain of God is here in Exodus chapter 3. But the New Testament tells us. Let's look at this. At his partner passage in Acts 7. Then Moses fled at this saying. And was a stranger in the land of Midian. And appeared to him in the wilderness. Where? Mount Sinai. So the same event. where, Where Moses is with the burning bush. The burning bush is here. In Exodus chapter 3. All this is in the same. This is all the same passage. And in the New Testament. We're told that the mountain of God is Mount Sinai. Isn't that interesting? So where was Moses. He was in Arabia, in Midian. We know that. And in the Bible, it tells us that the mountain of God is Mount Sinai, where he is with the flock and with the burning bush. Let's go back. Oh, by the way, Galatians chapter 4 also tells us that Mount Sinai is in Arabia. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai where? In Arabia. Isn't that interesting? Let's continue. We're back in Exodus chapter 3. Verse number 12, this is important. Look what God said to him. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God where? Upon this mountain. You're going to come with the children of Israel. You're going to come back to this very spot that I've been speaking to you with the burning bush. The burning bush is where Mount Sinai is. And God says, you're going to worship me right here on this mountain. So he says the children of Israel are going to follow you out here. So, what does that mean? The Jews were in Arabia. Now, let's look at more evidence. Okay? There is physical evidence now that we know where they crossed the Red Sea. I don't know if you're aware of this. Okay? So now we know Jebel el-Los, Jebel el-Musa, is in Arabia. Now, we, uh, there is, by the way, if you were to scoop up all the water out of the Red Sea, now the Red Sea, the water's not red. If you ever go to Israel and get down to the Aquaba, which I've been there, they call that the Red Sea, not because the water's red, but because the rocks are all red, and when the sunlight hits all those rocks, it looks red, the water looks red. Okay, and so this, these two fingers of water, the Aquaba and the Sinai, uh, sorry, the Suez, on the Aquaba side, you have a natural bridge. If you scoop out all the water, it's a mile down, A mile across and a mile up. It's hard to walk that way. But there's one piece of land in the Yakubah that's a gentle incline and an upward incline to walk across. Let's look at this. You can see this beach head from space. It's so big. It's called the New Ava Beach. And uh, now, these pictures I took from Ron Wyatt, but there's a few other archaeologists who also have documented this stuff that I'm sharing with you, okay? Uh, this dried-up riverbed called the Wadi Watir and the mouth of the gorge called Paha'i Roth. It's still called Paha'i Roth today. It's called that in the Bible. We've got a thousand mile uh, a thousand feet decline and incline uh, to cross there. Here's a picture from the beach looking back at the gorge. And the Bible says, Speaking to the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Paha'iroth, which is that little gorge, uh, that, that mouth there. The mouth of the gorges is what it means. And so imagine you're, you're on the beach and you're looking back. This is where the Jews would have walked out as they left Egypt. Who's behind them? Pharaoh and his army. He changed his mind. Now this is a picture of being in the gorge, uh, in the Wadi Wattir, and looking forward. And this is what you've got, the Gulf of Aqaba. You've got all this water in front of you. You can't go to the left. You can't go to the right. And Pharaoh's behind you. All you've got to, is forward as your option. And uh, as they walk forward... The Bible says that they walked on soggy ground. No, it didn't. It said that they walked on what? Dry ground. Growing up in England, in my, uh, one of my teachers there, he was, uh, his mother uh, named him appropriately, Mr. Payne. Uh, he was always taking cheap shots at, at, at Christians. And he showed us a, you know, old ancient maps, and it was called the Reed Sea, not the Red Sea. And they all don't believe that Bible nonsense when they walked through on dry ground. They, they walked through marshy land and made it through to the other side. And I raised my hand and I said, well, sir, I think then you're suggesting God did a greater miracle that day. He said, what? What are you talking about, Wallace? I said, well, think about it, sir. I mean, it had to be a greater miracle for all the Egyptians to come through, get out of their chariots, get on their knees and stick their head in the water and drown themselves. That's got to be a greater miracle, sir. <laughs> Wallace, I want to talk to you after class. He always wanted to talk to me after class. I don't know why. We never got along. But anyhow, God parted the water and they walked on over. Okay. Now, wouldn't it be interesting if we found evidence they were there? This photographic evidence of chariot wheels is down there. They weren't allowed to remove these antiquities, but they've been able to photograph that. Uh, Probably this was an axle there. uh, And this probably is the most clearest there because of the gold. Uh, The coral and stuff wasn't able to grow on it there. And the four spokes uh, matches the time period of the chariots and so on there. So this is now what is believed to be the crossing point, the only possible crossing point because you've got sharp coral there too and a you know, mile down drop, a mile across and a mile up. So very, very hard. When you get to the other side, we see other things that fit the biblical narrative of what happened. We find that Moses, what did he do? He struck the rock and water came from it there. There's this big, huge rock that suggests that water erosion had occurred through the middle of it there, and below it was, it was evidence of one day a lake. Well, if you're watering a million people, there had to be a lot of water there, and all the rocks had been pushed to the side like a lake was once there. Uh, then we see the Jebel al Lawz. This is where the Muslims claim to be the location of Mount Sinai. There's this big, huge, flat rock there at the side there. On it are petroglyphs, and maybe, perhaps, this is where Aaron made a sacrifice to the, of the golden calf. But we get this petroglyphs of Egyptian cattle drawn on it, which I find interesting. But uh, looking at Mount Sinai, at the very top, it looks like the land is, is darkened. And maybe as, it, as fire came down in Exodus chapter 19, it scorched the land. We see also uh, Leonard Moeller. They found a mass burial site. Many God judged some of the Jews there, and many died and were buried there. This is where the tabernacle has been constructed. And we see something very interesting. I'll show it to you in a minute. Uh, Oh, well, got ahead of myself. But you see these uh, these carved-out stones. Twelve pillars were made. Possibly this, this is the leftovers from that. But the most convincing sign that the Jews were there, they drew petroglyphs of the menorah. The Egyptian, sorry, the the, the the Jewish candlestick. Who would draw that? Other than Jews. And there's evidence that they were there. So what does this mean? The Bible tells us that Mount Sinai is in Arabia. The evidence is showing us that they crossed. Midian is there. We know. Abraham, we know Moses was there, and God said, "You're going to come back here and worship me on this mountain." All the evidence, but and and. And then the Muslims all believe that they were there, and they live in fear of that. So why are the Muslims fighting with the Jews about the land up in Israel? Why are they keeping on their case so much there? I believe perhaps for two reasons. Number one, they've been taught that that land belongs to them, so they are fussing over that, and they're trying to get their inheritance back. But number two, if the inheritance also belongs to uh, their land belongs to them, If they keep them busy trying to fight for what they've got now, then they won't have time to claim what was rightfully theirs. What's the lesson for us, perhaps, tonight? Well, I think there could be a couple of lessons we could apply. God had many blessings in store for Israel, apparently. But they never received them. Why? Because of their disbelief. And because of their rebellion, because they didn't follow God, they didn't get the rewards and everything that God had in store for them. That same thing is true for us. Perhaps there's many blessings that God has in store for you, but because you lack faith, because you're not following him, being obedient as you should, God's not able to reward you in the way he wants to. So there's a number of things we could take from this here. Will Israel ever claim that? Because I'm asked that question. I don't know if this side of eternity, before the rapture, if they ever will. But I'm beginning to study some things that's starting to lead me. I'm not yet ready to make some statements yet. But I am starting to read some things that's leading me to think that maybe they will. There was a short time during Solomon's reign where he did, where the, where the land of Israel did go all the way to the Euphrates River. So we know that they did have larger coast at one time, but they never uh, conquered and controlled as their land, the southern wilderness. So I don't know yet. So I don't know the answer to that. Will that happen? Maybe, maybe not. But I do know one thing. The next thing on God's agenda is for God to call us home. More and more things, and I think I taught here the how Islam and the Antichrist religion all fits the Biblical. When you put Islam, the lens of Islam on your eyes and look at prophecy from the Bible, wow, things really start taking shape in in an amazing way. And I believe the growth of Islam is maybe bringing about the very things that we were told is going to happen in future events. Folks, the Lord's coming could be very, very soon. I would be surprised if we don't see a conflict of war with Iran in the next six months. Um, We may have to make a preemptive strike. I don't know. But if there is a war with Iran, you know other people are going to get involved. And it could get ugly. And it could trigger World War III. I, I don't know. But I do know this. God's still on the throne. God's still on the throne. But if we are entering into those latter days, it means for us as Christians... Time may be running out for us to reach our loved ones. And i got to say, folks, your loved ones are probably the hardest ones to witness to because you've got a relationship you don't want to harm and, and create a offense you know, there. But please learn to go to them and say, listen, I don't know how to communicate this to you. But there's something very important to me that I believe in that, if it, that I must share with you. And I hope that you would please give me an audience to explain it. And I'm maybe not the best to explain it and I've got a friend who can explain it better but please would you let me. Folks, well friends don't let friends die without Jesus. Let's do our best to bring them to Christ. Don't give up. Keep praying keep pushing forward to that effort. And about Muslims, Muslims are coming to Christ in masses of numbers. We're seeing a mass uh, uh, migration of Muslims to the West, and many of them are accepting Christ. And we have a great opportunity being presented to us. And so, we're living in interesting days. And God's on the throne, and let's be doing what God has called us to do. bowed, nice clothes. Father, I'm not sure how you would want to lead in decisions for us in this matter Lord the Lord